welcome to the Global Outlook, where we're going to be discussing uh, international affairs, international issues, and this is the first episode of this podcast. And we're so lucky to have two people from Bangladesh with us here today. Can you guys introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Madhurma Roy Choudhury. I'm from Dhaka, Bangladesh. Um, hi, I'm Priyanti. I'm a sophomore, and I'm also from Bangladesh. Can you, so, uh, Madhurima, you mentioned what part of Bangladesh you're from. Can you tell us uh, geographically? Is that on the coast? Is that more inland? Uh, it is more inland. It is right, li- right at the center part of Bangladesh. So, and it is our capital. And like, so this is like the center of everything, the biggest metropolitan city there is. And like all the systems and everything is connected. It's like the source. Mm-hmm. And Priyanti, can you tell us where you're from in Bangladesh? I'm actually also from Dhaka. You are? All <laughs> we right. live like 15 minutes away from each other. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys are really from the same part. So yeah. Bangladesh is actually, it's only 148,000 uh, square kilometers about, which for Americans, I mean, the best reference point is that's a little smaller than Iowa, mm-hmm. right? So it's really small. Yeah. But you guys have a population of about 169 million people. Yeah, that's a lot. It is overpopulated. Like yeah. the size, if we compare it, it might be the size of Georgia. Mm-hmm. So like the exact, and yeah, it is overpopulated. Specifically, like it's increasing every year, like at a constant level, and yeah, um, especially Dhaka, since it's like the center of everything. People move into the capital city. And it's like most crowded in there. Mm. So like when we are like traveling or we were going to work or school or anything, like traffic is the huge issue. Like a 15 minute distance, I'm, I'm going somewhere. It would take, it could take up to two hours as well. Wow. So it's that bad. So we always need to like keep that time ahead and then... Mm. go for it also like there's always just so much going on and there's so many people like whenever there's like some sort of a festival or something there's like so much crowd it's hard to walk in there yeah so it's like it's pretty bad Mm. i would say now we'll get to more of these internal issues in a moment but first uh, i want to give american listeners and even foreign listeners some context about why Bangladesh is really important uh, on a global level. So you guys, can you tell us uh, anything about the relationships that Bangladesh has with some of its neighbors, like India or Pakistan or, or China? Um, Bangladesh, uh, as far as I know, had has a good relation with um, Myanmar, India, Nepal, and some other neighboring countries, which I actually don't know right now, but like, yeah, these are the countries Bangladesh maintains like a friendly relationship with. Is there any particular reason why Bangladesh is able to maintain good relations? Is it more business ties? Is it cultural? Uh, I would say I think both are involved. And when like a country like has that kind of friendship with other countries, it's usually there's some benefits involved with it. So Mm. that might be another reason. Now, I've heard that Bangladesh is really, really critical to the global supply of textiles. Mm-hmm. So what is the industry like when you talk to people in Bangladesh? 
in general, like where did where are they working? Are there really that many people who are going and working in textiles? Is that a really big part of the economy? Uh, so yeah, like part of the Bangladeshi culture is there are these hierarchy of people. They're like upper class people, so called upper class, who like own these kind of companies, and the middle class are basically just there and the lowest i would say like whatever like the people label it mm, so most of these people are the people who work for like textile and garments like we have we have this uh, tradition or like we have maids in all of our houses so like these are the kind of works like there are readily available people for like housemaids and then like the rest of them are like working in the garment sector or textile sector mm -hmm. so yeah that is like the division and so given that there's so many people in the garments and textiles mm -hmm. uh where does bangladesh sell like who, who do they sell to do they sell to china do they sell to the united states they sell to kind of everybody it's um yeah, it's like um, it's multiple countries. Like, uh, products like are exported to U.S. to um, what else? I think Europe as well. Europe like some of well, the yeah. biggest brands that take clothes from us would be like Zara, H and M, Forever Twenty One. Like whenever you go to buy clothes from these places, you're gonna find like plenty of clothes that say like made in Bangladesh. Mm. So yeah. So. We have so many of these really big industries, especially like the fast fashion industry, you know, multi-trillion dollar industry, which is absolutely massive, you know, at any given moment, uh, in terms of the leaderboards for like the richest people in the world, you'll see people like CEOs of these fashion companies mm -hmm. who are on the same par as Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or any of these other really, really wealthy individuals, you know, and they're clearly making a huge profit mm -hmm. off of what they're able to get from trade deals with Bangladesh. Mm -hmm. Now, given that it's so critical, why do you think Bangladesh isn't talked about that much uh, in a lot of Western media? Uh, I would like to shed light on that part. Like, as much as they are getting the fame or the success, that level of appreciation or credit is not given to the workers. And in most of the times in these fast fashion companies like you would see like most of the workers getting exploited they are like work working overtime and not getting paid enough for it and sometimes they don't even get paid so that's like a huge issue like there was uh news all over about how zara specifically was like exploiting the workers and they weren't even getting paid so that's like a big issue and partly why I think that like Bangladesh's name is not like just like it's not credited enough. Hmm. Also, I would like to say like the working conditions as well, they're not that good. Like you're gonna see like a small place, a small place that's like cramped up with so many women who are working and they're working like day to night. And like especially during like COVID, like she mentioned like zara and some other brands they like ordered a bunch of clothes and stuff and all of it was made and they didn't even take it or pay them so obviously that's like you know very bad for 
all the people, like not only the workers, but also the country, because they're not getting any money. Mm. So, yeah. Now, for all of these really atrocious business practices that are going on in terms of exploiting workers, not paying workers, uh, who's kind of to blame for this? I mean, do you look at the West and go, there's an element of like, you know, exploiting a smaller global southern country? Or is it perhaps also in tandem with corruption in the government, corrupt business practices in the country? Like, what are the forces at play when it comes to how Bangladesh is being exploited in this kind of global way? I think it's like a little of both because mm -hmm. these companies obviously aren't paying them that well. And also the government, I just, I just don't like it. And it is corrupted. And like, also, like, the head of these companies, like, the people who own the garment industries and stuff, sometimes they also, like, exploit the workers and, you know, keep the money for themselves. Like, there are plenty of rich people in Bangladesh, like, plenty. Mm -hmm. And so. most of them are, like, rich from garment yeah. industries and textile, whichever industry is, like, rising. Interesting. Yeah. So I'd also like to now talk about uh, a little bit more about Bangladesh and its neighbors. So Bangladesh, from my understanding, is uh, majority Bengali Muslim, correct? Mm -hmm. Now, from what I understand is that this is, that uh, Bangladesh is merely the sovereign part, but the actual region which encompasses Bengali Muslim majority spills over into other countries. Mm -hmm. And so how does that spill over where Bangladesh's borders do not exactly meet the region ethnically how does that affect some of the relationships we, Bangladesh has with it, with its neighbors? Are there any sort of border disputes? Does Bangladesh get involved with any sort of ethnic violence in any other countries? Um, I think it actually starts from like history, how like countries got separated. First, it was all like part of India, and then Pakistan got separated. When you say first, it was part of all India. Can we just clarify? what we're talking about. So it wasn't just India and Bangladesh, but also Pakistan was there. Yeah. It was virtually the entire subcontinent. I'm correct? getting there, yeah. yeah. So it was India and like it was known as Hindustan. Mm. So that's when like after um, the partition of Pakistan, there was East Pakistan and West Pakistan. And then there was conflict between these two. So Bangladesh was East Pakistan. And uh, there was a war. Uh, like nine months long and then Bangladesh won their freedom and then we got our own country so like that like firstly when Pakistan got separated it was a religious dispute uh, Hindu and Muslims so after that when Bangladesh got separated it was more about our freedom of speech, our like rights, human rights. So that's where like Muslims got separated and then Bangladesh came from Pakistan. So they're like two Muslims majority country and India is right there. Hmm. Does so, that breed any conflict in the modern day, even though those conflicts were originally in the past? As far as I know, it's more like an, like what I see, I observed, it's more like an internal conflict. Like we as minority Hindus, like there's always countries like doing injustice to the minority. So that 
is there there is a kind of internal conflict with religion and stuff mm-hmm. uh, otherwise i would think that like with other countries that doesn't really impact because i think it's more for like people's unity and stuff so in general pakistan and bangladesh don't have any sort of conflict or would you or would you describe that there's still some sort of tension there i would say there might be still some tension but i don't know exactly about like their mm-hmm. relationship right now now uh in the region there's a lot of kind of flashpoints for conflict obviously china pakistan and india are all in conflict over the region of kashmir as you mentioned before there's a kind of ethnic religious conflict between muslims in pakistan and then hindus in india uh which is magnified by some of india's oppressive measures against minority muslims in india so how does bangladesh fit into all of that or does bangladesh maybe stay out of it uh does does bangladesh concern themselves with the other conflicts in the region um i think they mainly stay out but then in the case of myanmar like you know the rohingyas we have been like you know giving them a place to live and there are like about like i think a million of them living in bangladesh right now so i would say we helped out with myanmar but i don't think bangladesh really did anything for like india and the oppressed muslims there mm-hmm. yeah so that's actually a very good point that bangladesh is a country which accepts a lot of refugees mm-hmm. uh but at the same time bangladesh is a small country which also has 50 million people living on the coast mm-hmm. meaning that it's certainly uh, a very uh, at risk area for climate refugees mm-hmm. because as the climate progressively gets more and more dangerous you have 50 million people that are right there where the sea uh will be rising or possible storms can affect the livelihoods of millions so how do you guys foresee that affecting bangladesh in the future or is it already affecting affecting bangladesh internally I think it's already affecting Bangladesh cuz like whenever like there is the monsoon season there's flooding like almost around all the like coastlines like all the homes are like literally submerged and wow like many people lose their lives and like the farmers they're mm-hmm. like greatly affected mm-hmm. so yeah and how does that affect uh Bangladesh's economy as you mentioned earlier uh Bangladesh originally separated from Pakistan because they were searching for their own independence and their own rights. Mm-hmm. Now, in order to in historically in general in order to be able to maintain a government where things like rights are protected, uh you need to have a strong economy because when economies falter, that's when people turn to less democratic or or less uh free forms of government. And so has the perhaps economic turmoil uh in recent years caused by things like flooding has that affected uh the way that the government interacts with the people at all um i think like the economy it's it's getting better overall but i think it's like somewhere it's getting balanced like somewhere the economy is like the gdp is raising and some parts like you need more like funding and everything So I feel like there's like some sort of balance where it like still is like increasing a bit. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Bangladesh then is, would you say, like a slowly rising country? Yeah, uh, exactly. Are they? Are they? What What are they looking for in the future? I mean, clearly they're already industrialized because they produce so many textiles. Does Bangladesh want to become uh, a leader or maintain their lead in terms of their industry, or are they looking more and more towards like service sector jobs, like India has been in recent years? Um, I would say like every in every sector it's kind of getting better but there are like still setbacks like the root of everything the government and their like government related services and everything there are still like corruptions so like yeah it's not it's trying to get better but there are always like some setbacks mm-hmm so you guys have mentioned corruption quite a few times. Uh, and so can you tell us a little bit more about that? Uh, what is the source of the corruption? Is the leader of the country a source of corruption? And if so, can you tell, can you tell us a little bit about the leader of the country? Um, so the prime minister is Sheikh Hasina. And I would say, like, she's working a lot for the country, for the betterment. Like, she's working, like, we didn't have a subway or anything so like we now have our like own um subway like not really subway the metro um and there are like several infrastructural changes trying to make make everything better especially traffic and everything so like structural wise these are like getting improved but then uh people are suffering because uh, sometimes they're like oppressed specifically if they're like talking against the leader or like talking in favor of the opposition or anything like people would just vanish if they said something controversial so these kind of things and like these cases happen like on a regular basis like people go missing and something and like their families don't know and then somehow like they blame it on the family that like they were putting like wrong allegations so these kind of things like like more things like this happen so there's like still not uh much freedom of speech for people to like express what they're feeling i think this is the case for more like people with power or like people in politics but then other than that like the commoners um they like most of them actually like sheikh hasina because she is still like doing a lot for the country interesting so uh that almost reminds me of in neighboring India, uh, there is uh, the, the prime minister there has a very, very high approval rating, mm-hmm. right? Narendra Modi is very popular in India. Uh, however, he's been criticized for things like human rights violations. He's also been criticized for coming down particularly hard on his political opponents. So could you say that it's perhaps indicative of a regional trend that you have these leaders who are uh, in charge of currently rising economies, rising countries, and that are in some ways 
uh, very much bettering their countries and giving necessary reforms, but are doing so in perhaps not the most democratic way, and one could even argue perhaps oppressively. Um. Yeah, like I feel like it. Uh, what Priyanti said, it comes with power. Like if you have the power, you would like to, like, keep it to yourself as long as possible. So I feel like, with that thinking, like they tend to oppress people so that like nothing is again, like nothing can like get against them to like keep that power. Mm -hmm. Now, when you were talking about Bangladesh originally gaining its independence, was Bangladesh searching for a like a strictly democratic government, or what? What were they were they looking for rights from Pakistan, or were they looking for a government itself that protects the rights of the people? Um, that was like one of the conflicts why the war happened because we wanted our own leader and. Pakistan would wouldn't let it happen. Mm -hmm. So like they uh, promised something to us, but they then backed out. So that like triggered people even more. And mostly like back then it was really bad because like the East Bangla uh, East Pakistanis weren't treated right. Like they weren't given like the similar opportunities that were given to the West Pakistani. Like overall, like we weren't still like considered as like, you know, equals. Mm -hmm. So there was always inequality and yeah. And by the end, like it got really bad. Like people got tortured for like speaking against them. So yeah. Wow. So so Bangladesh, when it wanted its own independent leader, what did they envision that leader being like? Did they envision a person who was perhaps more authoritarian? Did they envision a person who was in a democracy? Like, how did they want the government to be formed independent of Pakistan? Um, so we had a leader. He was uh, Bongo Bundu Sheikh Mujibur Rahman. Mm -hmm. He is basically Sheikh Hasina's dad. So uh, he was the envisioned leader, like he led us, like he gave um, speeches and like he was the one who motivated people to like fight for their rights. So to our people, he was like the envisioned leader and he had a like huge, um, uh, what do you say? He had a lot of supporters. For yeah. Sure. And he like he played a big part in motivating everyone and like you you know like fighting for yourself and getting the independence. And like one of his popular speeches, I think it's like the second longest speech, like uh, throughout time. Like first was Abraham Lincoln, and like that speech is like what like really motivated people. And like we get to listen to that, we used to get to listen to that every year on televisions, and used it used to get broadcasted everywhere. So you said that the current prime minister, this revolutionary figure, uh, that's her father. Yeah. Now, would you say that she is following in her father's footsteps? Is this the kind of government that her father would have wanted run? Is this aligning with the values Bangladesh holds? uh again like the good sides yes 
but since we weren't uh, present at that moment and we didn't know that person like uh, in like in person we didn't know him but we always got to hear like good stuff or, like about him and his part was like after our independence like a few years later he got assassinated so it the leadership wasn't long enough so it was like till a period after the war and independence and then yeah so right now how sheikh hasina is leading the country it's impressive in some ways but then there are also dark sides mhm and so those dark sides would you say that they in general are fundamentally detrimental to bangladesh or uh do the people in general consider her reforms to be worth whatever bad side comes with her leadership i would say people think it's all right because there are still like tons of supporters people are still voting for her i don't know how many times she has been elected to be the prime minister so yeah like you know she is obviously working hard to get, uh, like make bangladesh more developed and i think people are focusing more on that than the ugly parts mm mm-hmm. now a lot of people in the west i would like to interrupt oh yeah go ahead go ahead uh another thing is um so like the main opposition party we had it was bnp um uh, so like about them i would say that they were even more corrupted so for some time being like they were like oppositions and fighting and whatever but then slowly that uh, group just got down and like at this point i feel like they have so much power like the awami league that the now is in charge like throughout years they have gained so much power that like no one else could like dare to like stand against them so there is like kind of a thing like that mm-hmm. interesting and it's like also depended a lot on the followers it's like uh people have like strong political views and like if you like you could trigger a person but by just sharing your opinion like your side of the your political views so like a feud could just start around like anywhere if you discuss politics and like you have different views so it's like that like the followers are even more like intensely they're definitely like riled up about politics yeah. for sure is there much political violence in bangladesh um there are there definitely are like during yeah. the elections there's a lot like there would be like protests like many people would lose their lives even so yeah wow yeah. like the election is coming like for this the for this year like it's in november i think and like a lot of things like festivals or any event or something it just is getting postponed to like later year because there's going to be some like feud over the streets or something yeah so like people are already aware and like they're not keeping anything in between that time mm-hmm. so in the west and especially in the united states 
right? The idea that a leader could be both, in some respects, brutal, but also very popular is a little bit shocking. And I think for probably a lot of Americans, it's hard to understand how, uh, in especially in developing countries, like, for example, India and obviously also Bangladesh, leaders who can, uh, to some extent, act corruptly and oppress the opposition can also maintain popularity. So I'm just curious, uh, what is it that, like, is, is Bangladesh and is its people, are they skeptical of kind of the idea of, like, the Western model of, of democracy and how the government functions? Uh, and they kind of want to go at their own and figure out their own way? Uh, I think about our generation, like, there's nothing like that. Like, we we would love democracy in our country. Like, why not? And, like, we look up to, like, how it's here. So I don't know about, like, the previous generation because they have some different views. And, like, everyone has, like, their own set of views. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, we're about reaching the end of our time, and so i just like to cover one more thing, which is I'm really curious. If you could have Americans know one thing about your country, if you want Americans to walk away with one thing about Bangladesh, what do you want Americans to know about your country? Bangladesh is like, I mean, there's obviously the ugly side, but then there's a lot to see. Like, our food is amazing. And then, like, even, like, the nature, like, in, like, Silet, there are, like, hills and, like, these tea gardens and everything. Like, I've seen some of the most prettiest sites in Bangladesh. So, I mean, yeah, there's, like, an ugly side and everything, but there's also a lot to see. Even, like, the garment sector, like, we have this thing called Jamdani Sari, which is, like, very intricate work, and it takes a lot of time to make, and they're, like, really expensive. So there's obviously, you know, good things to look at. I would say, like, we have to be, like, more credible to Bangladesh because, like, compared to the, like, timing, like, from when it's formed and till now, like, it's it was a really short time for a country to develop this much mm-hmm. because we got our independence around, like, uh, 1971 um, and like brutal thing was like Pakistani armies tried to like remove like all our resources throughout the war like they like there was this event where they like killed all the intellectual people like one sudden night just took all of them from our their houses and just killed them so like from that state, like the country came this far, that is impressive. All right. Thank you guys so much for sharing about your fascinating country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that now we, as a, from, Amer- from an American perspective, hopefully we can all appreciate, first and foremost, the fact that Bangladesh, uh, despite its mixed history, uh, is a rapidly developing country with an interesting perspective on the global stage, an interesting role in the entire global economy, uh, and of course, amazing food. Mm-hmm. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Thank so, you much. so much. All right. This has been the Global Outlook, episode one about Bangladesh. We hope you enjoy, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye.